we're going to be talking about cherishing the Word of God. So if you would, please turn to Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1. And please allow me to set the stage before we read. As prophesied by the prophet Jeremiah, the Jews came back to the land after 70 years of being captive to the Babylonians. And now that they're back in their land in Israel, up to this point, 90 years. And about half of those 90 years, the temple has been rebuilt. And now in our passage, they're just finishing the wall at Jerusalem. And so cherishing the Word of God. These points, main points, are, are in your outline. Points to think about while we go through this message on cherishing the Word of God. For His glory, salvation, continuing in joy, remain to be focused and protected, and sharing the Word. So let's go ahead and read Nehemiah 8, 1 to 12. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, all who could understand what they heard on their first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra, the scribe, stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside them stood 13 men that had cool names that I am not going to read. <laughs> I'm not going to pretend to be so, I'm not. But you can read those later. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood and Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet wine, and send portions to everyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to our Lord. Do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and send portions and make great rejoicings, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. And again, one more time, let's pray. Father God, we do thank you for your holy word of God. And we're looking at this holy day that they celebrated. Help us to hear your words, Lord God, that we might hear from you truly. In your name we pray, amen. So let me paraphrase what we just read. There went the way to eat and drink and great rejoicing. It was a celebration. The children of Israel had their land back. They had their temple back. They had their community back. They just finished a wall. And now the word of God became the centerpiece on that day. Doesn't get any better than that, right? You guys just kind of mummed. That's good, because you know what? I was going to say wrong. <laughs> I was baiting you. Sorry for that. Because I said that day. 
because that was the biblical fallacy, the way I paraphrased that. I said, that day. No, I said, holy, holy, holy is that day. And is the Word of God just a centerpiece? More food for thought. When we come together this morning, celebrating the King of kings and Lord of lords, and indeed, we do celebrate that, right? Amen? And we hopefully, we desire to do that every day. It's what we say we do. It's who we are. If he, he is indeed our Savior and Lord, that's who we are. But he's our friend as well, if that's true. And he's God Almighty. And we, and we sang that song, Behold our God, Behold our King. But we have to realize that even though that's great, and it's great because we're not striving to become his children because of good deeds, right? Because then it becomes about us, and it's never been about us. It never will be about us. But, oh yes, he does love us, and he died for us. And even today, we're reading James 1.21, we're reading even to receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save our souls. So yes, we're thankful for all that. We're celebrating just like they did in Nehemiah 8. Although, although we must know that he does everything from eternal past to present and forevermore for his name's sake and along with his word being eternally exalted. Psalms 138. I bow down toward your holy temple and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness for you have exalted above all things your name and your word. So that's our first bullet point in our in our outline, cherishing the word because his name and word is eternally exalted. That must be the foundation for everything we talk about this morning. So please turn to John 15, 1 to 5. And let me review while you're turning there, Nehemiah 8, 1. Nehemiah 8, 1, and all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book. So here we see they had the desire for the word of God, and we know a healthy church, our people gather together as one man passionate about the book, the word of God. And they said, bring the book, bring the book. And all the ears of the people were attentive to the book. So they weren't just passively hearing with no soul searching, no. They were hearing, they were receiving, they were trusting. They were, a child of God is truly dependent on the word of God. We hear the word as God's voice. Jesus says in John 10, 3, the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and he leads them out. Now this is one true distinguishing mark of a true disciple as a sheep that follows the great shepherd. Let's read John 15, 1 to 5. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that he might bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word. Now note here, clean because of the word. Let's pause here just for a second, because it would it'd be appropriate to... How are we made clean? What does that mean? It means that 
the shed blood of Jesus, just like we took communion, that represents something that's a reality. If you have received forgiveness because you repented of your sin, you, you returned from your old life, trusting yourself, trusting in the Lord and Savior to give you a new life, a new heart. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So it is admitting that in confessing that we're sinners, desperately needing forgiveness, looking to his word and trusting in him and following him as his disciples. So that's what it means by being clean and born again. And he becomes our great shepherd. And truly, we, we hear his voice. Jesus continues in verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And that's true. It's by his grace alone and faith alone in Christ alone. And one fruit that we are going to look for as the true disciples to hear his voice, but also to continue in the word of God. And young students, again, this is good for you, a good nugget to continue. 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing that from whom you learned it and how from childhood, young people, from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which, are, which was able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So praise the Lord for that. And today, they said, bring the book. But thank God, we, we don't have to say that anymore. We have the book in print. We can go to the book throughout the week. And I want to encourage you young students to think about doing that more often if you haven't throughout the week. Number two in our outline, has the word of God made you wise unto salvation? Salvation. Now, fast forward, fast forward 2,500 years <clears throat> after Jesus died on the cross. A few days later, two of his disciples were walking on a road. They were sad and discouraged, wondering what happened to Jesus. And Jesus appeared to them unbeknownst to them. And he said, O foolish ones of slow of heart to believe in all the prophets had spoken. So Jesus, after that, walking on the road with them, start talking about all the prophecies that spoke of him in the Old Testament and how they were fulfilled in him and through him. And they didn't realize until after he disappeared that it was actually Jesus. And look how they reacted, though, after he disappeared in Luke 24, 32. They said to each other, did not our hearts burn? Now, maybe that's a deep conviction, but maybe it's a joy, too, a deep-setting joy. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and opened to us the scriptures? So we see here, they were amazed not so much that, oh, Jesus appeared to us. And we didn't realize it, but he disappeared. It wasn't about his appearance. But he opened to them the scriptures, the word of God. That's why their hearts burned within them. So it's true that they were sad and discouraged. And even as in the day of Nehemiah, they were in grief and mourning. And there's a season for that. The Word of God does draw people for, in conviction and grief and mourning. And there's a season for heartache. 
and suffering. But because the word of God on Nehemiah's day, their mourning was turned into joy. And the key word was from the word of God. And what does it say here in Nehemiah 8? The joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength after hearing the word of God. As the disciples did not our hearts burn within us. John 15, 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy, the joy of the Lord, my joy may be in you and your, your joy may be full. So again, it does begin with the word of God and it continues with the word of God if we allow the word of God to bear fruit in our lives and then our joy becomes full and complete. John 15, 8, it says, by this my father is glorified. Glorified, that's the main point of all of this, again, with our first point. He is glorified that you, or we, bear much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So, the capacity of our joy and our affection does truly grow in him. And even in suffering, even in suffering, and suffering is a, is a, can be a great thing if it's from the Lord, even, especially if you are a believer, just like Trevor leading us in worship, talking about he had a hard week. What does the Lord do with that suffering? He grows us. He sanctifies us. He proves us to be his disciples. And Paul said it well, too. In 2 Corinthians 7, 4, he said, In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. So, the joy is not coming intrinsically, intrinsically coming from the pain, you might say. It's not coming from the beating that Paul might have gotten for proclaiming the word of God, but it came from the words of Jesus. What did Jesus say in Luke 6, 22 and 23? Blessed are you when people hate you, when people, and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on the account of the Son of Man. Now remember that phrase, on the account of, of the Son of Man. That's Jesus. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, the reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Now, Paul didn't hear those words directly at that time from Jesus, but he was well aware of that promise. Look what he said in Philippians 3.10, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, it may attain the resurrection from the dead. So again, that joy is not coming from the, intrinsically from the pain, but it's coming from the words of Jesus, the promises of Jesus. When Jesus said, great is your reward in heaven, in heaven. Now, now it doesn't get any better than that, right? When we get to heaven, that is what brought the joy to Paul. Now, although many disciples have stopped following Jesus when they heard uh, words of God, but they were, in their mind, difficult words, and they can be hard words. We do hear hard things, what it means to, and the cost the cost of following Jesus, and, and it's, it's suffering, it's dying to ourselves, it's selfishness, and perhaps it's any other kind of hardship, but it's for his name's sake, and it's on the account of the Son of Man, on the account of Jesus. That's why Jesus said in John six sixty eight, he said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? And many did stop following him because they knew the cost. Not good. Although, Simon Peter answered, he answered well and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
you have the words of eternal life. There you go. So that made it worth it for the suffering for Peter. Eternal life, heaven. Heaven. And he continued on saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and come to know that you are the Holy One of God. So, eternal life in heaven. That's what makes suffering, what makes sense with suffering on the account of the Son of God, on Jesus, for his name's sake. It's not about ourselves. It's not about other religious systems, which includes works, or, or they twist suffering to mean something differently. Young students, you might have, here's a good homeschooling lesson for you today. Man-made religions view purpose, the purpose of suffering differently because they view Jesus differently. They don't see him as God the Son. Some, a lot of religions view him as a prophet or a good man. For instance, Hindus tend to regard our suffering as punishment for deeds done in a previous life. Buddhists say that we suffer because of spiritual ignorance and our inaccurate perceptions of the world and what it means to be human. Muslims generally see suffering as a way to submit to the will of Allah. Animistic belief systems such as tribal religions hold that suffering results either from people putting a hex or a curse on us. In cults, such as Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons, see suffering as earning favor with God. Now, sadly to say, many Christian churches are now forgetting about the grace of God, and they follow that same deceptive belief, belief that it's about themselves, it's about works. Again, pain and suffering is not necessarily bad. It is God's gift to show that something is wrong with us, right? Physical or with our soul. Neither is grief. But if it's self-inflicted or if it's inflicted on others because of malice or anger, then that's different. But a self-serving sacrifice is when it gets hypocritical. Please turn to Matthew 7.20. Matthew 7.20. Because many, many man-made religions uh, seem that most, if not all, have a common denominator when we... It's It's suffering. It's suffering, and most of the time it is disguised in some kind of self-serving sacrifice or self-inflicting uh, way to earn your way to God, to earn goodness. And that's basically the common denominator. But if it's not suffering, it's some other kind of motion, such as some more progressive religions like uh, New Age religion or self-awareness, where they they falsely try to help themselves feel better or others think well of them because, for instance, they may be well accepting of, of saying all religions are true. And we know that's not true because they contradict each other. That's not even logical. But it just sounds good to the world to say something like that. So if it's not suffering, it's chasing after good feelings. But, and most of all, it's not on the account of Jesus. Not on the account of Jesus. Matthew seven twenty. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? 
And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, workers of, a, of lawlessness. So even in this case, in name, they thought it was on account of the Son of God, Jesus. But it wasn't. They were fooled by their own deceitful motives and why they actually were serving the Lord. It wasn't by grace. It wasn't by the righteousness that only comes through Jesus Christ, which Trevor talked about when he, when he opened up in worship, righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. But if we do know the Lord and we truly have the Savior in us and we, and we know the righteousness is flowing through our lives, there are times, sadly to say, as true believers, that we can, and we do, resort to what the Scripture calls works of the flesh. We can't easily do this. Not as Matthew 7.20, to be confused with them, unbelievers, but believers. We can fall into that mode in, in self-afflicted suffering or chasing even good feelings and good, doing good works. We can fall in that mode. We don't lose our salvation over that. But it's not on the account of Jesus. And we can make it about ourselves. And maybe we make it about someone else because of their sin. Making them feeling guilty. And they know the Lord. And we're inflicting suffering on them, thinking we're going to help them. So whether we're angry with them or ourselves in the past or present, or maybe it's just being self-confident in our righteousness. True believers do that. We can get self-righteous. We can get caught up in petty striving over secondary doctrinal issues, arguing about Scripture. Uh, we can get caught up in legalism, comparing or competing with one another. True believers do that. Or just being plain busy in ministry for the sake of pleasing man, not truly pleasing God. So in one form or another, it's works of the flesh. It's just as wrong. It's just as wrong. Paul says it well in Galatians 3, 3 and 4. Are you so foolish? So this is when us believers need to know we can be called foolish by the Lord, by his holy word, and we want to be. We want to be corrected and disciplined by the Lord, right? We, we cling to his word because we want to be free from needless suffering. Amen? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you being made perfect by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? if indeed it was in vain. So now this. We know that Paul did write this to Jews because they were falling back into Judaism. They were falling back into ceremonial laws and traditions, forgetting that it was grace alone that saved them. And they were falling back in this mode, not recognizing that God's grace is enough. And, it, and enough to grow us as well. Because he who began us in the Spirit will complete it in the, to the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we can quench that joy, trying to be made perfect by the flesh. What does that mean by the flesh? By our own efforts, by our own doing, our own self-needless suffering or sacrifice, chasing good feelings, whatever it is, but not looking to the grace of God and keeping in the word of God, remaining in the joy of the Lord, what it really means to attain the joy of the Lord. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength just as they learned after they heard the word of God. That's why we need to abide in the word every moment we can. When our thoughts take us to attaining our own strength 
and chasing after good thoughts or trying to earn God's favor, earn God's grace. And we don't even kill our joy. This is the danger of it. We don't even kill our own joy at this, but we kill others' joy. I mean, they see it in us, and we do it to them. We inflict each other because we're not remaining in God's grace. We see it in the body of Christ here in the family of God. Look what it says in James 4. James 4.1, it says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So we let our passions go loose. And it could be, be just plain sin as well. But that is sin, by the way, is when we turn to ourselves, make it about ourselves, and not God's grace. That's why Pastor James, about resolving conflict uh, with Joseph, when he talked in Genesis, he was teaching in Genesis with Joseph and his brothers, and there was so much conflict in his family. He turned to the Word of God, Matthew 19, and how today, if we have conflict or someone has sinned against us, we go to our brother. That's how we deal with sin. We don't announce it. We don't speak about them behind their back. We go to the Word, the Word of God. And Pastor Kyle just spoke recently in Romans 12 and on the Lordship of Jesus and loving others biblically. And he spoke uh, through the whole chapter how we can look to the Word of God and love each other and giving true Lordship to our King so we look to the word. Our third point in our outline is, are we continuing in joy, in the joy of the Lord because of the word of God? Are, you, are we continuing in the joy of the Lord because of the word of God? Please turn to Hebrews 12. So it's important to note again, the fruit that we get in our lives is the true joy that only comes through Jesus Christ. And, and he has, pres- in the past, and is presently, um, above all things, exalting his name and his word. But how are we obedient in this? How can we stay focused? And this is the litmus test, too, by the way, as, as a true believer, as a true sheep, that we hear his voice and we remain in his word and we stay focused on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Hebrews 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin that which easily, which clings to us so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look into Jesus. That's how we are focused. Look into Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. For who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right-hand throne of God. So we're looking to Jesus. And this is a great example to Jesus with the joy set before him, the joy of the Lord. That's how he was focused. And why was he focused? On pleasing the Father, on absorbing the wrath of God that was due to us. That was the joy, believe it or not, to fulfill that on the cross and to glorify God, and the joy of our salvation. Point number four in our outline, cherishing the word keeps us focused in why and how we live before him. Focused in how and why we live before him. Let me read Romans 12, three to six. 
For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than we ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as one body, we have many members, and as the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. So it says not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to of ourselves. Now, wouldn't you agree that today there's, we live in a virtual world, right? It's really, uh, it's moving fast. And there's so many things on the internet. And it's amazing how a nobody can become a somebody, Overnight, very popular, very popular, and a big ego, prideful overnight. And that could ruin even a most stable person as well overnight. There's, so again, a small thing on the internet can explode overnight. For instance, um, my son Judah uh, showed me uh, a video, a cute song video, Baby Sharks. And uh, nothing really high-tech. In fact, it was kind of bland, right? But what was amazing about that, um, this video was two five-year-olds singing and dancing with animated baby sharks. And um, singing and dancing. But what was amazing about that, why he showed this to me, is that it had 12 billion views. So many views that it was bringing this family... This video was created by mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and the two five-year-olds. Just them alone, 12 billion views, and it brings in $300,000 a month. So just as that little thing, something so simple exploded overnight, unfortunately, sadly, the same things are happening in the American church. A new trend or a new deeper mystery and unfortunately, churchgoers are swayed by this tidal wave of these new trends or distractions. And these people, and we can too, can be like jellyfish on that wave being deceived. Ephesians 4, 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about every wind of doctrine by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together. Held together, not like wobbly, squishy jellyfish, but held together like a team of dolphins. That's what I like to think of. A team of dolphins going against the current, diving across and through the waves, going against the, the course of this world. Joined and held together, every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself in love. In love. Uh, speaking of love, you know what I hate? is snakes. Now... Heather does love snakes. In fact, if we go on a hike, she'll pick it up, no problem. And unfortunately, she'll chase me with it. Um, not good. But while I was preparing my message in my backyard, I heard this loud scream. And you know what? I actually did 
suspect it was a snake. It was totally the Lord. And I actually suspected too, it was Debbie Webster. Is Debbie, are you here this morning? Raise your hand. There you are. (laughs) It was Debbie. She screamed. And I asked her, I texted her, are you okay? And and by the way, Debbie, um, she also serves on our Bible club team. And I just appreciate that. At the Bible club team, we evangelize, disciple at the Prescott Valley Charter School. So awesome. Anyway, I texted her, is she okay? And she goes, no, I'm not. And I texted her back that Heather's not here. (laughs) So I'll pray for you. That was it. (laughs) So I'm glad you're okay now, right? You better? (laughs) So speaking of the serpent of old... Satan. What did he say to Eve in the garden? He placed doubt in the word of God. Genesis 3, 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So it's just placing a little doubt, a little distraction. And that's where I think the deception is even more subtle. Satan's not stupid, neither is demons. And I believe he's using every tool he can You know, it's not so much just a false gospel anymore. Yes, he is spreading that false religion. But I think more, we're going to see more distraction with the true gospel. I think that's where the subtlety and danger is we're seeing in this last day. Because we are living in in a church age now, you might say, where churches are exploding. And part of it is because of the internet too. Because we have a lot of mega churches with big leadership names. And it's, I'm, not saying, I'm not knocking every leader or pastor that has a big church, but the temptation, I'm sure, is there. We need to pray for them if they are staying true to the word of God. So, but some just get popular and popular, and it becomes more about the name. And so I can't say that no one cares about that name, unfortunately, but everyone does care so much where it becomes more about that name than the word of God, unfortunately. And even gifted God-believing pastors fall into pride. Or even the, the congregation, true believers can fall in that pride because their pastor's famous. Let's go back to the baby sharks illustration. As innocent as that could have been. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong. Simple video. It's nothing wrong with the, with the family getting $300,000 a month. But the danger is, would you, wouldn't you agree, if, is forgetting that gift of having that video take off. And, and what do you do with that $300,000 a month too? Are they going to be responsible with that? What's the temptation with that? And that's how a, a good, healthy church could be genuinely gifted with God-gifted pastors and faithful believers are going there. Do we, can we forget about the gift? The gift of grace that we have received that is never about ourselves. It's never about our works. And it's always about staying in the word and allowing the word to come through us. First Corinthians 4, 6. I, Paul, have applied these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond. Not to go beyond what, was, what is written. That none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? I hope to God you never see anything different in me. I'm just a sinner behind this pulpit. I don't know why, but 
And it's true. Ask Heather. <laughs> Doesn't take much. A snake can get the wrong words out of my mouth, whatever. <laughs> For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? He's talking about the gift of God or gifts that we serve in. Paul continues, and then Paul says, if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? That's where pastors get prideful or, or teachers, they think, they think it's about them. It's the gift that they receive to be able to teach a gift from God. It's a righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. And that's the subtle danger, I think, where these even healthy churches, I'm not saying they lose their salvation. I'm just saying, but it's so subtle that they could move just a little further away from what we're talking about today, about the word of God being exalted above all things along with his name. That's the subtle danger of being puffed up to be able to be distracted. Let's recall Nehemiah 8. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. That's the key word, attentive. Now, Heather began a while ago. Heather made these uh, water plants, uh, nice little centerpiece bowls with different water plants. And they were kind of cool. And it really had my attention. And I, they were beautiful. And uh, you should have them on the middle of the table as a nice centerpiece. And... Um, they were a beautiful centerpiece. But then, after that grabbed my attention, but then as time went on, she started adding other things. And she started adding like fake pears and nuts and a couple of candles, <laughs> a fake bird, a squirrel, a fake lion. Just kidding, not a fake lion. Okay, not even a squirrel. But she started adding things. But it took away from the attention of that centerpiece that really had my attention. And I think you know where I'm going with this, with the word of God. The Word of God is not just a centerpiece of, of that day in Nehemiah 8. Even though it was, a, it was exalted, it, it was exalted high above everything. That's my point. We can forget and get distracted from things that are around the Word of God. The Word of God is not even a centerpiece, believe it or not. We get distracted. We think that we are giving honor to the Word of God by putting it in the middle in our church service. But really, it's more than that. It's exalted above all things along with his name. And that's why Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 4, 6, not to go beyond what is written. So we can get distracted by a trend or a man or even too much um, things that are actually good and healthy, like political stuff. You know, we, we do want to uphold the morality that the Bible holds dear to. We want to speak for the unspoken, the child that's not born, all those things. But we can get so caught up in the political thing that we're forgetting the word of God. It's the word of God that changes hearts. So we have to be careful. Although we do want to address things that are important. Judy Hulse, um, who is, uh, is part of our Bible club, um, as well as... Um, Debbie Webster, uh, scared of the snake. <laughs> uh, Judy Hulse, she's our sister too, is part of our Bible club. And it's just an amazing time that we could share the word at Prescott Valley School. And uh, it's a gift to spread the gospel there. And anyway, she also, she brought this um, 
notice about calling our senator and making a difference. All that's important. But we don't want the Word of God to be side to side with things that are even important. It's not just a centerpiece. It's far above. It's exalted along with His name above all things. And we never want to make it about man. This is why it says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and 9, man's never the focused. Never, just beware about quoting man. That's a danger. Quote scripture. (laughs) I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants or he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So it's not some popular preacher. They're not anything. It's only God who truly gives the growth. So, you know, Paul the Apostle said it well when he said this. Indeed, he set the record straight. Indeed, I considered that I am not in the least inferior to these super apostles. Even if I am unskilled in speaking, I am not so in knowledge. Indeed, in every way, we have made this plain to you in all things. So Paul kept it clear. It's not about him. There's no such thing as a super apostle. He's Paul the apostle. And he doesn't want to be elevated. So it's either some man or some new doctrine. Sorry. Lost my place. There we go. <laughs> Not to be distracted by man. That was one of my points, wasn't it? <laughs> Which is so true. Well, here's a good verse. When I came to you, brothers, did not come to you proclaiming you the testimony of God with lofty speech. <laughs> I decide not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling in my speech and my message was not in plausible words of wisdom but in demonstration of the Spirit and power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men but the power of God. Isn't that true? So true. It's all in the power of God. You know, um, that's why we want to be instant in season and out of season. Second Timothy 4.2 makes me think of okay, there's number five, the word of God warns us also, builds us up together so we can remain protected. Was that number five? Okay. How could we, how could we be protected? Second Timothy 2.15. Do yourself present yourself as God is one approved. The worker has nothing to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. So young students, if there is a fire in a building and someone's looking to you in desperate need, okay, you could be so unprepared. Just like Right now, what's happening to me? <laughs> and they're looking at it desperately. How do I get out of this building? Are you going to give like a clever answer saying, thus saith the Lord, go henceforth in this dimension. And step number one, to get out of this fire, this building on fire, step one, no. If the flames are billowing and the smoke is in your eyes, you're going to tell that person how to get out with a plain quick answer, and you're going to lead the way, right, to get out of that building that's on fire. So it'd be instant, in season, and out of season. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All men, no man comes to the Father except through me. So young, young student, or even adult, if you don't know scripture, that's a good one to start with. And to keep it simple. First, First Corinthians 2.1, and I came to you, brothers. I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or maybe a super prepared message like Joe this morning. <laughs> For I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. Are we ready to do that at a moment's notice? I was with you in weakness and in fear. I'm feeling a little fear right now. And much trembling. And my speech and my message was not in plausible words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and power that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but of God. Isn't that true? It doesn't depend on us. It doesn't depend on the man behind the pulpit. It depends on the holy word of God. We have, uh, Heather and I have a niece, Tori, when we were speaking to her year after year for 10 years, she was a bold atheist. She was always open to hear what the word of God had to say. And um, we, we gave her evidence of the Bible, but most of all, we gave her the holy word of God with no apology for that. And then one day, well, Mother's Day, this last Mother's Day, right? She took Heather aside with tears in her face. And she said, the living word is, the word is living and active. It is, isn't it? It truly doesn't depend on us. Thank the Lord. And I've seen so many instances in my life where people come to know the Lord in spite of me, in spite of my words, um, stumbling words, definitely not lofty words, right? But that's okay. What does Hebrews 4.12 say? For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of the soul, and spirit of joints and marrow in discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. No creature is hidden from his sight. That's so true. The Lord's in control. It doesn't depend on us. No creature is hidden from his sight, and all are naked and exposed to the eyes to him we must give account. So true. Thank the Lord it's not on us. I could actually take a break right now and get a cup of coffee and come back relaxed now, knowing that. Seriously. Number six in our bullet point in your outline. Cherish the word and sharing the word. That would be sharing the gospel, but also making disciples, right? Do you know the Bible clearly says in James 2.18 that even the demons in hell believe and shudder. And maybe that's why they're so God, good at creating false doctrines because they, they know God's there. They believe to a point where they know he exists. They know the word of God probably better than we do. And there's no reason why Paul the Apostle said in the last days there'll be doctrines of demons. But like I said, I don't think it'd be so much false. His new tool is not so much a false doctrine anymore. I think it's going to be 
the gospel in its purity, but it's going to be a cute little centerpiece. A cute little centerpiece that's distracted with so many other things. And that's going to be the danger. So it's the pure word of God we need to look to. It's the pure word of God that tells us about what the Lord did on the cross. He shed his blood on the cross. He bore the wrath of God, the free gift. It's by grace that we're saved through faith. It's not of ourselves, not by works, lest any man should boast. We need to keep it simple. In these last days, I hope to God that the Lord puts it more on your heart. If you truly are his, then be ready to give an answer. The Bible says to be ready to give an answer for the man who asks for the hope that is within you with gentleness and respect. Do we have a living hope or don't we? We do. Amen? And it's all because of him. It's not who we are. It's by grace that he gives us a new heart. He takes out the heart of flesh and the heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. That's why Paul's in Ezekiel, if I can find this verse, I will give you a new heart and give you a new spirit and I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey his rules. Rules. So it's by grace we're saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. But he will give us the desires of our heart. He, he gives us the new heart. He will give us the laws. He will write those laws on the tablets of our heart. Not to earn salvation because we already received the gift of God. Praise the Lord for that. Praise his mighty name. Isaiah 46 to 8, it says, A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. So true, huh? You've seen the weakness of grass right now speaking to you. <laughs> and its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely all the people are like grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen? Praise the Lord for that. So our application today. Have you received the word of God with his exalting power in your heart? You heard the word, but it doesn't have his exalting power in your heart. If so, you will live forever with whom the words belong to. Rejoice! Exclamation mark. Rejoice. As the worship team comes forward, let's pray. Father God, we we do praise your holy name. Oh God, we, we know that your word of God, unless it is mixed with faith, we will not truly rest. Lord God, I just pray for those this morning, Lord God, they don't just look to the word of God just to put on the shelf this one extra thing they might know in their mind. Lord God, but the word of God is exalted in their hearts. 
our God, and exalted in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.